Today on the Lab Report, we talk about fatty acids. Omega-3s, omega-6s, omega-9s, saturated fats. It's all about balance. Unsaturated. What do they do? Trans fats. What am I supposed to eat? I've seen what you eat. Huh? We need to have a talk. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. Hello. Hi, Michael. Well, how's it going? Pretty well, thanks. Well, good. Yeah. Good. We are here. Again, it's the Lab Report. My name's Michael. You just mentioned that. And I'm Patty. Hi, Patty. Hi. So... Today, we're going to talk about fats. Yeah, we're talking about fatty acids. Fatty acids. I like this topic. And fats. Should we be scared of fat? Hmm. You know, people make us scared of fat. I know. They sh- we shouldn't be. They're very important. We need some, Low we need fat, some fats. Non-fat. Right. Eggs. They get a bad rap. Fats. They do get kind of a bad rap. It's not fair because we need them. They're super important to us. You know what? What? Your heart uses fat so does prim- your brain primarily to pump most of that energy that the heart uses is through beta oxidation do you know that i did not it's not it's not using sugar it's too unstable it's too unreliable well same with the brain you know cognition you, the way you think and aging and mood all affected by fats because of the cell membranes in your brain yeah your That's brain is soluble. like it's all it's like a big fat ball up there totally is so I think we established that they're important. Yeah, we need them for energy. We need them for cell membranes. We kind of need membranes around the cells. Those yes. Are important. Um, hair, nails, yeah. hormones, cholesterol is a precursor, precursor to all of our hormones. Hormones are also important. Kind of need those. Yeah. They're also important for the inflammatory cascade. Icosanoids, precursors mm-hmm. to our inflammatory cytokines. Yes. Yeah. So I, I wonder what a low-fat diet is doing there. It's important, right? This is an interesting I mean, concept. Yeah, I, I, I feel like there's probably some long-term potential consequences mm-hmm. of a low-fat diet or a non-fat diet. I, you know, I don't think anyone's really, at least today, there's not nearly as many people who are on a low-fat diet. I think the, the, the conversation has pivoted away from fat is bad to healthy fats, but... Um, it's still out there. You still see low-fat, non-fat items. It's not as prevalent as it used to be. And I will say, super high-fat diets isn't good either. Everything in moderation. What's wrong with the super high-fat diet? I thought this high-fat diet is, it's all the rave these days. It is, but to your point, it has to be healthy sources of fats because uh, there are some unhealthy sources of fat and it's all about balance, I guess, uh, is the best way to put that. Gotcha. Okay. And Well, I assume right. we're going to get into that. Yep. Sweet. Well, then... First, why don't we start with like fat and where does it come from in your diet? The main sources, things like that. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is when you talk about fatty acids or fats, you know, people, it's all over the literature. It's on the news, omega-3s, omega-6s, all these different omega fats. There's a lot of sources of fat in the diet. Yes. Some healthy, some not so healthy. But I think a place to start is with the omegas. Okay. Let's start there. There's omega-3. Omega-6. Omega-9. Trans fats. Monounsaturated. Saturated fats. Right. Lots, right? Yeah. And then within those categories, there's different fatty acids. That's right. So there's different fatty acids that then 
make up that category. So there's different omega-3 fatty acids, like that's where you get your DHA and your EPA mm-hmm. that you might be familiar with from fish oil. Right. Um, so which makes sense. The omega-3 sources are cold water fish, flax, things like that. Walnuts. Walnuts. Yeah. And I've heard this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that if you're eating meat and you're eating grass-fed beef as compared to grain-fed beef, that that might actually be higher in omega-3s compared to the the grain-fed. That's true. That is true. And in fact, grass-fed meat in general has an overall lower amount of fat in them, and the fat that's in there is five times more likely to be omega-3s, which are very beneficial. Five times more likely? Yeah. In addition, there's also like antioxidants and other vitamins in there too that you wouldn't get in normal beef. Or so it's, it's no joke. Like grass-fed is, is definitely healthier for, for you. Real. Yeah. Yeah, okay. For real. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. Good to know that I'm not just wasting my money. No, but there are also bad meats. Because I normally just buy whatever <laughs> people are telling me to buy and what sounds <laughs> cool and trendy. And typically I just, I look for the higher price tag. That's not true. But. Oh. They are more expensive. That's an exaggeration. So with that, that's omega-3s. Omega-3s are super important. They're anti-inflammatory, cardioprotective, makes nerve cells and lipid membranes, etc. Then there's the omega-6s, which... Yeah, the bad ones, right? Are they all bad? No, I'm I'm a little bit of a setup, right? Because there are some anti-inflammatory omega-6s. There's omega-6s like arachidonic acid, which tends to be more Mm pro-inflammatory. But when we're talking about inflammation, it's not not that it's always bad. Inflammation is also an important part of physiology. So it's, as you said, everything in balance. You just don't want to be excessively eating pro-inflammatory fats. Is that fair? That's very fair. And then the whole concept of... You know, threes and sixes. So if the sixes are good and the threes are good, how much do we eat? Yeah. Where do you focus there? Yeah. Hmm. And I think an important point is in evolutionary times, evolutionarily speaking. Is that a word? That's, I think that's sometimes a good way to go about trying to figure out how much we should eat because our physiology is set up to deal with particular diets. I think that's mm-hmm. a logical yeah. assumption. And in evolution, the ratio of omega threes to sixes was one to one. One to one? Yeah. No and way. Now, that now is cr- I'm telling you, now it's up, up to like 15 to 20 to 1 in favor of the omega-6s, which now correlates with all of these chronic diseases that are developing. So cor- correlative, mm-hmm. not causative, but right. still important still factor. Important. Mm-hmm. Wow, 1 to 1, that just seems like a lot of omega-3s. Where were we getting all these omega-3s? Mm, well, probably just fish, right? Fishing, hmm. grains and nuts. Interesting. I would think. But now I think the bigger point is to try to swing that pendulum back more in favor of the omega-3s somewhat. Yeah. And there's an assessment that you can do where you measure omega-3s and Mm omega-6s, and you can measure the ratio between them. Mm -hmm. Is there there a particular goal when you're looking at this sort of omega-3 to omega-6 ratio? I've been told and and heard at conferences that a a ratio of 1 to 5 is good. Still better than 1 to 20. It's better than 1 to 20. Right. It's not 1 to 1. It's not. But that might be a little hard to come by these days, I guess. Agree. Agree. And with that, some people supplement with omega-3 fish oil, as you described. Yes. Which can also help. Yeah. Right. And omega-3, so fish oil, and this is not, what does it do? But fish oil (laughs) is mostly omega-3s and particularly high in EPA and DHA content. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why fish oil as compared to other types of oils. But other oils can be helpful as well, like olive oil. 
Right. Olive oil, interestingly, is more omega-9s, right? Which right. we know. So it's the main source of omega-9s. And I think it's, again, omega-9s are also super beneficial. They're also cardioprotective. I think it's the reason the Mediterranean diet is so well studied. You're getting fish and olive oil. Yes, you are. Yeah. So what about what else about omega-9s? You said they're cardioprotective. They make nerve cells and important for nerve right. membranes. Right. Well, one of them is called, there's oleic mm-hmm. and then there's nervonic, right? Nerve. Nervonic. So those are two omega-9s. And I always just remember nervonic, I think it's probably because it plays a big role in, in, in nerve cell axon cell membranes for, right. for nerves, right? Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So where do we, what's the difference between omega-3, omega-6, like from a, from a chemistry standpoint, just because I'm a nerd like that and I, I kind of want to <laughs> know these things, what, what, what's the difference? Like why, really how are they question. so functionally different? Well, the reason they're named differently is interesting. You know, all fatty acids and all fats have carbon backbones. We talked about this last time. Everything has carbon in it, right? Carbon, carbon, carbon. Yeah. So the length of that carbon helps with the naming convention and whether or not they have double bonds or no double bonds makes them saturated or unsaturated. And why they're called omega and what differentiates an omega-3 from an omega-6 is where the double bonds are located. And so you think alpha and omega, omega is the end, right? So if there's a double bond three places away from the end, it's an omega-3. If there's a double bond six places away from the end, it's an omega-6. So it's really just a naming convention. It's just different nomenclature. And people, you know, denote these things differently. But that's just where the naming comes from. Got it. Okay, cool. So I also hear this term essential fatty acids or essential metabolic fatty acids. So mm-hmm. what when I, when I think of the word essential, I think of essential amino acids, meaning you have to get them from the diet. You can't the body can't make them on its own. So is it the same thing applies here for fats? Yeah, but there's really only two essential huh. fatty acids. Okay. One of, them, one of them is an omega-3, and that's alpha-linolenic acid, ALA. Right. One of them is an omega-6, and that's linoleic acid, LA. And then others can be made based on that using desaturase and elongase enzymes, but they can also come from the diet as well. But there's only two essentials there. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's helpful. So there's only really two essential fats. And if we're getting those, even the omega-9s we can synthesize, I, I'm assuming. Yeah. I'm assuming that we can. We so from the diet, yeah. That's interesting. As long as you're getting those two fats, which is probably we're all getting, then the body should be able to theoretically make these other fats like EPA, like DHA. So why doesn't the body... Why doesn't the body make enough EPA and DHA on its own? Great question. First and foremost, because to make those others require specific enzymes, like I said, desaturase enzymes, elongase enzymes, and these require specific vitamin and nutrients to make them. And sometimes those enzymes don't work well. And even with that, you think about some of those essentials, like how many people are eating enough flax? Let's be honest. Probably not. Right. A lot. So with that, there can be a minor nutrient cofactor missing, which would prevent you from making some of the others. If you're missing that initial precursor, that essential, that's also a problem. So there's a lot that can go wrong there. Yeah. So getting adequate Mm omega-3s, making sure that those enzymes are working well, these are sort of the good things we can be doing. So we talked about fish oil, talked about the Mediterranean diet, fish intake. What about the bad? So let's talk about the bad a little bit. Well, there's a couple things that are considered bad. So first and foremost, let's talk about 
saturated fatty acids. Boo. And so we talked about double bonds or no double bonds is what makes it saturated versus non-saturated. Sure. And the reason that's important is when they're incorporated into cell membranes, it affects the fluidity amongst the membranes. So first and foremost, there's that. The saturated fatty acids get a pretty bad rap. Yeah. In general. I said boo, but really they're not all created the same, <laughs> They're right? not because there are some really good saturated fatty acids. Such as? Coconut oil or palm oil. And the reason these are better mm-hmm. amongst the others is that they are medium chained, which means a medium amount of carbons. And they can get directly absorbed from your gut and sent right to your liver to be used as energy instead of going through the whole biosynthesis and transporting cholesterol. So these uh, get pretty quickly absorbed and used immediately as energy. I see. Glucose. Yeah. I see. Well, what if you are somebody who has an energy excess diet, we'll put it that way, and that you don't necessarily need a lot of extra fat in mm-hmm. the form of energy. I could see where that would make sense for endurance athletes and things right. like that. But what about people who have excess caloric intake and, and overall just excess energy intake? Yeah, and I think over time, we just think about saturated fatty acids, like we said in general, get a bad rap, but we need some of them. And uh-huh. coconut oil and palm oil are a good way to go there. And so in excess, things can be stored and, and change. But the reason those are the preferred ones are because they are medium chained and they're quickly absorbed through the intestine. And coconut oil has come under some fire recently too, with respect to its raising lipoprotein levels, cholesterol levels, LDL levels, I believe as well. Is that true? It is. And I think that's the whole point of nothing in excess. And Mm. if you're going to go for saturated fatty acids, find the healthier forms of them. Got it. What are some of the unhealthier forms of them? Things like, well, arachidic, Trichosanoic. Some of these comes from come from butter and some of those other sources, which, again, not all that. I mean, most things you eat that okay. have fatty acids in them have several different kinds of fatty acids. Right, right, right. So there's mix and match. So it's really, again, all things in moderation. Okay. But I think if we're going to talk about the worst offender as far as getting a quote-unquote bad rap mm-hmm. from fatty acids, it's trans fats. Is it getting a bad rap or is it just straight up bad? They're not all bad. Oh, that is shocking. Why? Tell me more. How are they not all bad? I thought they were all trans fats were. Depends. From the river sticks. Ooh, what does that mean? Oh, sticks. Okay, I got you. <laughs> well, really, most trans fats are bad. Some of them come from ruminant animals. Okay. You know what a ruminant animal is, Michael? It's one that eats grass, right? It's like cud, like root, chewing your cud. You're ruminating, chewing cud. <laughs> so things with hooves. Okay. Like, like I a got cow. An image. I got like a visual a image. A giraffe. I don't know if you're drinking giraffe milk. Not often. <laughs> but it's expensive. Things. But you know, my I like to buy the expensive things. But ruminant animals make trans fats. So there are some dairy for- sources and some meats, and they're not so bad. However... What the manufacturing industry has done is they started hydrogenating various oils, which means they're adding hydrogens to them. And that, although helps with stable shelf life, um, it changes the configuration of the trans fat and makes it bad for your health. So processed foods, hydrogenated oils, fast food, etc. So it's not the nature of them being trans that necessarily makes them bad. Right. It's the hydrogenation process and probably the excess trans fats. But there's naturally occurring trans fats. That we need. That are good. And and I think of Vasenic. Is that right? That's a monounsaturated though. Is is that a trans also? Mm, I don't think that's a trans. It's not. We think of... Is it palmitic? Palmitic. 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 And elatic are the trans fats that 
people right. know. Right. Right. I didn't realize that some of those were naturally occurring. That's interesting. Yeah. Think about giraffes. <laughs> I always <laughs> Cows, do. Cows, goats. It's expensive. Um, okay. So that's helpful. So we've got the bad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still left with this question of what do I eat when it comes to fat? Mm-hmm. Like what, what should I be doing and what shouldn't I be doing? Just some general guidelines. Yeah, I would say omega-3s, we know all good. Omega-6s, okay. I think it's more of a balance, right? You're trying to find the balance between the two. Can I have a, add a little caveat in there? Just a little... Perhaps. Safety safety issue that if you're consuming a lot of omega threes and you're taking fish oil, they do have the capacity to to be a blood thinner. Yes. So if you're also on blood thinners, there's you want to consult your physician around the appropriate dosage you should be using. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to throw that in there. Excellent point. Yeah, but other than that, for the most part, well tolerated and mm-hmm. and getting omega threes in your diet is is probably wise for most of us. And also, you know, making sure you have adequate other nutrients like zinc and vitamin C, some of those things that help with those enzymes that are necessary for the metabolism of essential fatty acids. Yeah. So you got your essential fatty acids and to turn them into the other important fatty acids, you need these nutrient cofactors like B vitamins and zinc. And let's, let's talk a little bit about the omega-6 pathway, because I think that this can be interesting as it relates to the omega-6 fatty acids and the ones that are pro-inflammatory versus the ones that are Mm anti-inflammatory. Can we get into that a little bit? Or you think that's... What's the one that Am I just being nerdy and this is not interesting to anyone? We love this. And if you do the NutraVal, we geek out over the page that talks about fatty acid metabolism. Right. It's cool. Right. But when you think about the omega-6s, what's the one you think of as being pro-inflammatory? Arachidonic acid. Why? Where does it come from? It comes from meats and animal fats, dairy fats, things like that. And so how is Eggs. it how is it pro-inflammatory? Because it is it gets cleaved and turned into eicosanoids, right? And mm-hmm. so those eicosanoids ha- are they're sort of cell signaling proteins and in the case of these it, it goes down and form and is part of the uh, like the thromboxane pathway and some of these other inflammatory cascades. Do you think we need some of that? We need some arachidonic yeah. acid? Yeah, I mean, there's reasons why you have clotting. There's reasons why you have inflammation to fight infection. So, yeah, I don't think you should be arachidonic acid deficient. Mm-hmm. In today's diet, based on the dietary sources, I think it's abundant arachidonic acid. Mm-hmm. What's the one you think of that's the most anti-inflammatory amongst the omega-6s? Well, I happen to know the answer to this. <laughs> But it's DGLA. Right. Dihomogamma-linolenic acid. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that dihomogamma-linolenic acid, DGLA, turns into arachidonic acid. Mm-hmm. And so that's the very next step in that that pathway. So if you're supplementing with like a GLA, which is primrose oil, borage oil, a lot of times we'll supplement with that to try to make more DGLA for its anti-inflammatory properties it can also then just turn into arachidonic acid in the system. And there's one very important trigger for that conversion, which is insulin. Insulin stimulates the conversion of DGLA to arachidonic acid. So you have to be wary of that if people have metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, or insulinemia. But you see why it's important to measure fatty acids to see levels of these things to see where there's a hiccup, where are things converting too quickly or not well enough, and which enzymes might need some help. So 
in measuring fatty acids, Michael, I know that there's different ways we can measure them. Uh huh. Different matrices. Yeah. What do yeah. you know about that? Well, you can measure them in the plasma. You can measure them in the red blood cell. Most of the literature that I have seen looks at a red blood cell assessment because a couple things that gives you a larger window of time. We've talked about this before, but red blood cell lives for about 90 to 120 days. So it gives you a little bit of a larger window. And these fatty acids, what they their main role is they get incorporated into the cell membrane. So if you do a red blood cell analysis, you're actually getting an assessment of how much has been incorporated into the, the cell membrane. Right. And when you're measuring them in serum, they can vary based on what you'd eaten or supplemented with before you got your blood drawn. Right. right? So it can be falsely high just because you took a dose of fish oil before the test. And it's a different matrix, right? Like mm -hmm. you're not expecting to have a lot of just free fatty acids floating around in the serum. That's not normally where they're circulating. They're circulating in the red blood cell. The other thing I think important about measuring it in a red blood cell is that you're kind of looking at it as a big pie chart in yeah. the sense that you're looking at 100%. So you're looking at percentage of yeah. the red blood cell. Yeah. I think ideally a lot of the literature is, a lot of the literature focuses on what's called weight percent mm -hmm. and that's how these fatty acids are measured. That's also what's done on the NutriVal and and what we're doing there is we're not just measuring the concentration, we're taking the concentration and saying, well, relative to all the other fats, what's the percentage? What's the percentage of omega-3s? What's the percentage of omega-6s? Because as we've been saying this whole time, it's really about balance. Mm -hmm. What's the right balance of, of fats in your system? That's right. And so we know that by doing a test like the NutriVal, where we're looking at a long-term marker of nutrient status with fatty acids, we're, we're getting that percent weighted percentage, like you mentioned, of the threes, the sixes, the nines, saturated trans fats. We also have a page that just shows the steps in the fatty acid metabolism, which can show you where some of the nutrient cofactors may be missing to help some of those enzymes metabolize fats through. Right. So it's a great tool. Okay. So we talked about the omega-3 to omega-6 balance. I, you've got a research paper in your hands. So I think that means it's a good time to introduce a new segment that we're going to call, What Do We Think We Know? What do we think we know? And you're going to disprove what we think we know? or No, we're just going to talk about what the literature is saying. And, awesome. and it's what we think we know right now. But with scientific method, we're always learning more. What do we think we know? Right. So what do we have today? So with that, let's talk about this omega-3 index issue, which is a measurement and calculation on the NutriVal. Uh-huh. And so this is a biomarker. This is a biomarker and it was first described back in 2004 by Dr. William Harris and Dr. Van Shackey, who was a cardiologist. Okay. And they found that the omega-3 index was very highly associated with cardiovascular risk. And so what they did was they were adding together DHA, DHA and EPA. Okay. The percentages in the red blood cell, they added so them together. two omega-3 fatty acids, the EPA and the DHA. That's right. All right. So they did randomized prospective studies just to look and see, you know, does dietary intake increase this? Then they went back and they're looking at all of these patients who have had cardiovascular events and they're trying to do a correlation to see if this might be an interesting biomarker. And what they found was shocking. They found that when your omega-3 index is greater than 8%, there's a relatively low risk that you're going to have a cardiac event. Really? And if it's less than 4, you're at high risk. Interesting. So 8 to 12 is the sweet spot. And the reason this paper is important is that it was the first to kind of look for a specific cardiovascular biomarker different than just serum cholesterol. Okay. And, okay. Si and since 2004, 
This paper has been cited in nearly a thousand other papers. Wow. And there have been two other, 200 other papers using this to study it, to right. validate it. So the omega-3 index is a big deal. Super important. It's an important biomarker. It's mm -hmm. measured on the NutraVal, and you said it's a combination of the EPA plus the DHA percentages. Mm -hmm. Is What do I do to quickly or efficiently, effectively raise my omega-3 index? Well, besides the concept of increasing your omega-3 intake of fatty fish and you know flax, etc., because it's made up of DHA and EPA, the question then becomes, which is more important? Yeah, which right. is more important. And they studied this. Well, that, uh, let's hold on that, actually. Okay. This is a good question because this is a question that we also have for question of the day. Great. Question of the day. What's this? Question of it's the day. question of the day song. What did I, you do to it? I worked on it. I love it. Yeah. I don't know what you did, but it's great. Thank you. I worked on it. Wow. Nice awesome. job, sir. Awesome. Okay. So what is today's question of the day? The question in essence is, you know, if you're standing in a supplement aisle or you have your laptop open and I suddenly got to get some health in me, let me get some supplements. <laughs> There's a lot of different oils. I mean, everyone's telling me I should take fish oil. That's DHA, EPA. And I've already got my giraffe. oil. I've already got my giraffe milk in That's the cart. That's right. <laughs> uh-huh. Mmm. Sounds delish. Well, where do you start with fish oils and DHA and EPA? Where do you start you know, I think if if you're just starting and you're trying to get a good omega-3, then the the first thing that you want to do is look at the the brands, I think. It's going to be very, very important because one of the problems with omega-3s is that they can be contaminated with Ooh. mercury because they're coming from fish. It's nice. a fish oil. Yeah. Um, so that's a, that's a big, important factor. And that kind of lends itself to what type of fish they're using. The small fish, like sardines, on average have lower mercury as compared to your bigger fish, like tuna and salmon and things like that. So if it's a, a fish oil that's coming from salmon, that could be problematic from a mercury standpoint. You want to make sure that they're getting fish from cold water fish and hopefully smaller fish like sardines. That's a big, big thing to keep in mind. It's might even be prudent to ask about what sort of quality control measures that they're testing because they should be testing for mercury levels in their products. There's some very, very reputable brands out there. Omega-3 tends to be one of those supplements that I don't skimp on. I don't go for value. Like the giraffe milk, I tend to try to pay more money for a brand that's going to be really high quality because I don't want that mercury contamination. And the uh, the next part of it after that is looking at the content of the the uh, EPA and the DHA fatty acids. Which is better? Why? Well, I don't know necessarily that one is better than the other. Okay. If you're just trying to get a general omega three, then I, I think getting both is going to be is going to be in your interest. But there might be some particular conditions where you might focus on one versus the other. When I think about EPA, I tend to think more about systemic inflammation, cardiovascular disease, atopic conditions like eczema. Hmm. Um, and with DHA, I tend to think of more like neuro mood and neuro behavior. So I think of like cognition. I think of attention issues. ADHD uh, has been DHA has been used a lot in, in studies around ADHD and mood. So, you know, that's a little bit of putting those two in, in buckets and it's, it's not as simple as that, 
but those are sort of general terms where you might lean towards one versus the other. But of course, you know, you're going to want to talk with your healthcare practitioner. Hopefully they have some, uh, some knowledge around this subject. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if if not, then you might want to consult with somebody who does have a little bit of knowledge around this subject to make sure that you're, you're maximizing your dollars. Like a naturopath. (laughs) I wasn't going to say it, (laughs) but you did. (laughs) Thanks, Michael. That was great. So this episode contained a lot of useful information, but you know what, Michael, I'm still not sure what I'm supposed to be eating. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. The whole diet thing. Mm -hmm. You know what we should do? What? We should talk about that on the next episode. I think that's a great idea. Maybe bring someone on. Like who? Mm, I think Liz Lipsky would be a good one. (gasps) I love her. Let's bring her on. We can talk about diets. Can't wait. Hey, Patty. What? Guess what? Huh? Just as a reminder, this content is for educational purposes only. It is pretty educational. It is pretty educational, but it's not meant to be misconstrued as medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, any of that. Good. So you're not my doctor? No. That's good. Yeah, it is. Next time on The Lab Report, we go on diets. Wait, what? No. Oh, I'm sorry. We we go on and on on diets. Oh, okay. That's better. Yeah. We're just going to talk about diets. Okay, I can do that. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Do you think we talked too much about giraffe milk in this episode? I don't know. Can you ever talk too much about giraffe milk? Good point.